No, it's pretty normal. Yeah. We're kind of used to this. <laughs> yeah. The back and forth, jumping from time zone to time zone, waking up at 3 a.m. on accident, not being able to go back to sleep. So we're, I think at this point, our bodies are pretty used to like adjusting to these, these situations where we feel like really out of control with our routine and our rituals. But it's okay. It's fun. It, I think it makes like life unpredictable in an exciting way. I think I personally get like really bored of like the same routine all the time. And we always have something to look forward to. It's like we'll have downtime in a few days to take care of ourselves before we go to Indonesia, which is next week. So yeah. it's not, it's not like there's a, uh, an especially big push with the album on the horizon. This is just kind of life for you at this point. Yeah, when we're not in an album cycle, we're still touring. We're still doing spot dates here and there. We're playing a really cool festival in Jakarta that we've been wanting to play for like years. It's called Warehouse Project, mm-hmm. and it's like the pinnacle dance festival in Asia. And we're really excited about it. And then when we drop the album in late January, that will be followed by a proper tour that's like properly routed and we'll do a little bit of Europe, a little bit of North America. So it'll be a little bit more straightforward than flying all over the place. It seems like the festival circuit is kind of how you've made a name for yourself. It's a huge part of it. Absolutely. Are there still surreal aspects of it? I mean, this is just kind of life now and it has been for a while. Are there still moments when it's hard to contextualize where you are and what you're doing? I mean, this is this is probably a relatively low key one in the grand scheme of things, but life must be pretty weird. Trippy. I it think still about, is? Yeah. Life is – it's getting trippier because, like, <laughs> my relationship to time is, mm. is really kind of getting warped. I was thinking about – we always talk about this, how it seems like time is going by quicker. But yet yeah. at the same time so – you were saying this, like, certain things that happened 10 years ago feel like they happened yesterday. Yet at the same time they feel like a lifetime ago or they happened in a different reality. Like, sometimes I actually question what things happened in life that I'm not aware of. You know, it's like, I don't remember what I ate last week. So what else in my life has happened? Like big monumental, it could have been monumental things that I have completely like blocked out or forgotten about. You think that that's um, a symptom of what you're doing? Because that's actually that sort of time dilation is something I hear a lot of people describing lately. Mm, Yeah. In the last, mm, I'd say maybe since, you know, January 20th, 2016 is when we go through. You pinned it to a date, January 20th? Yeah, there was a big political event that happened in the United States, oh. and it's radically altered yeah. people's perceptions wow. of time. I get it. Unless okay. we all went through some like a black hole or something. Yeah, yeah I mean, we went through like a like sort of a shared black hole. But I, yeah. you know, I, I hear people when it comes to that situation describe the relationship to time as mm. being both like incredibly long and incredibly short all at once. Yeah. I mean, that kind of like we talk about, not to like plug our album coming out, but it's I mean, called that's the Zero. Point, right? yeah, yeah. It's called Zero, and that like really in- embodies this, the extremes that are coexisting at times. Yeah. Whether it's like extremes of emo- emotions, whether it's the feeling of um, bliss in your solitude or complete isolation. So, I mean, that relationship with time we're talking about, where it's like two extremes are happening at once, I feel that so often. And as I get older, it's intensifying. Mm. And I think it's because, like, when, like, I was 10, the school year felt like it would never end. Yet now a school year, like, what we're doing within so a child's school year, feels like it's it's going by super quick and it's not enough time. When you're in school or, you know, when you're like me and you come into an office every day, you've got a pretty regimented sense of time. So how much of that do you think is coming out of, you know, what you've been doing for a living for the last several years? 
it, it's mm. probably hugely affected by that. When you say it like that, yeah. I understand. Like we don't have a Monday through Friday mm-hmm. set mm. nine to five or whatever the the schedule is, and every day is like a weekend. We play clubs on a Tuesday. Like some people party like it's Friday on a Tuesday, and and we are that's our work. So yeah, and the fact that we go to work at one a.m. or <laughs> do we do our work at one a.m. sometimes? It is very strange. It's not what we expected when we were children growing up, thinking that we were going to go into the system of whatever a, a normal life is. And although this is normal for us yeah. because we've yeah. been doing it for so long. Well, this so is the normal. only really kind of professional life that either yep. we've known. Exactly. I mean, we kind of, we experienced other side hustles, as sure. you would say. So I kind of yeah. like, I feel like I got a, a sampler of like cubicle life for a little when I was an intern back in Chicago when, you know, being a server. So I kind of have a, an idea of like what other paths would have been like mm-hmm. for me. But yeah, it's everything seems to be a blur. I'm thinking less about certain things as quote unquote work. So like back in the day, the whole like travel waiting in line at customs all felt like it was part of me clocking in hours mm-hmm. to work on Cruella and being the studio too. It felt like, oh, we were in the studio X amount of hours this week. That's me working. It's weird. Now it's all just becoming life. Obviously, like in a situation, like an office situation or, you know, food service, something like that. I, I understand why people want to regiment it that way, especially people who like most people probably hate their jobs, right? Most people are probably pretty miserable doing what they're doing. So it makes sense that, you know, when you punch the clock on the way out that it's over. Why do you feel like you were kind of contextualizing all these different aspects as being work? I think maybe it's um, our society. It could be familial mm-hmm. too because like our mom, God bless her, like she came from a really poor upbringing mm-hmm. and dropped out of college, made a career for herself as, you know, she created her own business as an independent graphic designer. So we were always exposed to a very, like uh, our mom who's working how many hours a week? Like a ridiculous amount of hours and on weekends, always at our home office on her computer. So work was a big part of our household, witnessing that. But then also, I think in the States, we talk about this a lot. Like, I think we value work and mm-hmm. career and our de- I, uh, t- tying our identities to those professions over community, over family, over quality time spent with people. So I've had to, like, really analyze my relationship with work and questioning, like, why um, that would take precedent over other things. And then in turn, shifting my perspective so I don't look at things like going to the studio as work or playing a show and in turn being like grateful and experiencing like the positive side of that. Like we get to go to the coolest places in the world. Mm-hmm. We get to walk into a studio and talk for a couple hours before we hop in the booth. Yeah. So just just being more positive. It must feel like a job. It must feel like work. There are probably nights where, you know, you have to put on a face of, being excited to be doing what you're doing and, you know, maybe you had a bad day, you're feeling kind of sick or whatever reason. You don't always necessarily want to be there performing, right? Yeah, we were having this exact same conversation two nights ago, I want to say. Even if you're doing your dream job, even if you feel like you are in the most incredible occupation you could have ever dreamt for yourself. Which seems to apply here. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you can't ever take a break or ever even want to take a break or you know take a day off from your dream job like people think that when you have your dream job it's like oh just like hustle every day because that's what you love but everything needs time spent away everything needs space and yeah whatever your job is 
And it's just like a relationship. It's like you're not going to be like madly in love with your partner at all times. Like you're definitely going to have days where you're like, I'm not feeling it. And I think like going off what Yasmin said too, it's like there are going to be moments in what we do where we're just like not loving it 100% and we're just something we're thrown off that one day or depressed or feeling empty or questioning what we're doing. Maybe you have imposter syndrome, whatever it is. So I think kind of like looking at it as like a relationship in that way. It's like it's okay if I'm not feeling it for these two days or that show my energy was a little thrown off and like being gentle on yourself for having mm-hmm. those emotions towards whatever your career is mm. is that a real example the imposter syndrome one is that something that you've grappled yeah, with yeah i think as everyone? everyone right no matter what I they don't do think so. I, I don't think that's right I, I, so this is the thing that i noticed <laughs> i think i think all of the people i like and respect grapple with it but i think there's a lot of bad people who don't mm. I think there are a lot of sort of entitled people people who think that they um, are deserving of something mm. but I think anyone who certainly anyone who really sort of like hustles and feels like they have to prove themselves is somebody who's gone through that to some degree interesting yeah I yeah I think I'm like I think we both feel this sometimes we're just like still are yeah. yeah I think that's the very thing that also pushes you. Sure. Kind of like what you're saying. It's like the very thing that keeps me in vocal lessons and all the time. Like, conti- that's what keeps me as a student because I always want to be learning and like challenging myself to evolve and grow and build my technique while at the same time not mm-hmm. like driving myself crazy over it. Like, live life also. <laughs> that's another lesson. It's like, it's okay to let go. I mean, obviously, there's the element of self doubt, but beyond that, how does it kind of manifest itself? And w- when do you feel that? Is it when you're standing on stage in front of a thousand people? Is it when you get some, like, I don't know, negative criticism or something? When do these feelings kind of rise to the surface? I think it manifests in the smallest, silliest ways mm-hmm. and then also the, the most grand ways, like being on stage. But it could manifest in a way where it's like, I feel like I can't post this photo of me on social media because nobody's going to care enough to respond to it. Or I feel like I don't want to tweet what I feel about this big issue because someone else is saying it better. I mean, there's a million ways. Like, I went straight to social media because that's such a huge part of the music industry now. But but maybe that's a good impulse. Maybe, maybe you know, obviously not imposter syndrome, but, you know, maybe kind of a a little, maybe a little bit of self-doubt before you, like, post everything to social media. is not necessarily Mm -hmm. a bad thing. I feel like most people have a filter these days and sometimes it does filter out the things they don't always need to say but to have a filter that filters out the majority and you can't even express yourself you're crippled with that self-doubt that's not healthy and I think we've both felt that at many times sometimes I'm super confident and sometimes I have no confidence at all it's just a very wavering thing these days has that doubt though has that dissipated as you've continued no yeah (laughs) Uh, God, I want to give people hope and be like, the older you get, the more confident you are. In some ways, yes, I feel like yeah. I'm more like, I feel like my recovery time has gotten shorter from like, if I said something <laughs> stupid in an interview, yes. I would ruminate for like 24 hours after it and I'll be like, oh, it's a horrible representation of like how I actually felt. I want to just speak in, in an authentic way and that wasn't it. And I'll like become so overly fixated on the one thing I said. <laughs> so I feel like my recovery time has gotten quicker. But at the same time, I, I feel like I'm always questioning, but I feel like I'm, I know, I feel like I have more tools now to like get myself out of that spiral Mm -hmm. the mental spiral obviously there was a point where the group went through some 
struggles with with a third member going through a situation like that and sort of like questioning everybody's role does that lend itself to that sort of sense of self-doubt yes but back to Jahan's trying to frame things with positivity and gratitude I also think that that little bomb in our life back in 2014 to 2015 led to me becoming a much better person me becoming a person that I have more self-respect mm. for. And so, yeah, there's a ton of self-doubt around that situation, things that still linger with me to this day, a ton of shame that will still linger, really, really negative emotions that I wish I could shed more quickly and easily. But I also try and remember all the good that's come with it because the person I was was someone I'm really proud of, but the person I am today is someone I feel more comfortable being. I get the sense that going through that just very pragmatically forced you to be better musicians, right? I mean, it forced you to have to play more role in in production and all of those those other things. I mean, did you have to teach yourselves a lot at that period of time? I mean, it seems like you had to, when you went from three to two, you mm. both had to step up your game. It's, it's interesting because I don't think we both feel that way because... Mm evolution is just such a natural part of being a human, being an artist. I think the cooler thing that happened is that Jahan and I are, (laughs) we're sisters, obviously everyone knows. We go through everything in life together, or at least most of it. We have such parallel lives and parallel experiences. So many interests the same. And so having a third member, Chris was such a wonderful part of the group, but when it came down to being Jahan and I, we almost felt like we could dive straight into what was authentic right here. And it just became more deep, if that's just like the simplest way I can put it. Mm -hmm. And um, we could feel like we could talk about women's issues more freely. We now feel like we can dive into our cultural roots more Mm. deeply because we have the exact same parents. You know, it's like we don't have to think about what is our third member going to feel about us talking about women's issues or cultural issues or whatever. So it just comes more freely now. Do you felt that he was, whether inadvertently or otherwise, maybe limiting that that process? Never, like, um, outwardly, sure. but more of, a, like, a, an assumed thing. Like, we should all just stay on the same page. Yeah. We should find this common ground. It's a natural thing. Were you interested in being, maybe, I don't know if political is the right word, but uh, were you interested in being more issue-oriented from the outset? I think for me personally, Personally, I was, like, living much more in the superficial when we first started. Mm. Um, like, the things I cared about was definitely, like, surface-level things. Like, I liked – I was attracted to – I mean, you were a teenager. You were both teenagers yeah, at the time, yeah. right? So that's just – Yeah. It's weird because sometimes I look back and I think about, like, what my goals were and what made me happy. And a lot of it was surface-level things. Like, I really – like, I think it's a human emotion to feel, like, really proud of yourself mm-hmm. and, like, happy and confident when, quote-unquote, successful. They're, they're markers of success or fame. But I definitely felt like those things were up there in, like, the hierarchy of, like, important things in my life. I, I mean, it's, like, weird. I shouldn't even be embarrassed for admitting that because it is a human emotion. I think it's human to feel that way. Yeah, so there's two different things here, right? There's there's the material thing, which yeah. I, I think of when, when you describe materiality of being, like, you know, clothes and cars and things like that. But you're talking about, actually, the success of the group. Yeah, I think, to me, when I think about the material realm, it's, like, it's not just tangible things. Mm-hmm. It's also, like, numbers. And it's, like, yeah. how your music performs on certain charts and... Followers. Yeah, followers. And um, I think that was like heavily influencing my sense of self-worth. So going back to what you said, like, you know, like how did this this 
what was traumatic at the time, a dramatic experience of losing our third member affect our relationship to that. It almost like forced me to reanalyze and reevaluate what's important in my life and what makes me happy. And because I realized I'm like, I can't be under the influence of all of the superficial stuff. That can't be what's dictating my happiness. When you feel like you're on top of the world career-wise, which is what I felt when things started taking off for us, and then it all your empire that you this little empire you built completely crumbles down just like wow I could either be really depressed by this and let this affect my sense of self-worth or I can like learn from stoic philosophy and see how this could be an opportunity to grow my values did it feel like things crashed down at all I mean did 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 you feel like you really sort of outwardly lost momentum as a group oh yeah Yeah. I was it felt like the end of the world for me but that's because I revolved my going back to like my self-worth and my sense of self and my identity around Jahan of Cruella. And it's a double-edged sword, right? Because there's the there's a professional and the personal. I mean, this yeah. is somebody who you've been very close with for a long time. That's two very difficult sides to deal with at once. Yeah, I think outwardly, we just kept going and we kept playing shows and we kept releasing mm-hmm. music and it was just go, 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 go. So it might not have seemed like our life blew up, but yeah. on a personal level, absolutely. I mean, you you feel things that you'll never admit to the public because you want to save face, but absolutely. I mean, it, it's... Super I mean, you, you can admit them now in hindsight, Absolutely. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I just remember being on a flight, and I was just, like, panicking, like, texting our A&R at the time because we were in Columbia Records when yeah. this happened. I'm like, we should change our name. We should we should start, like, a punk rock band or, like, a pop punk band, like, an emo And I started texting names and, like, thinking of how to completely reimagine a Cruella because I didn't see it working out with just the two of us. But I think that, like, I don't know. I'm I'm really proud of us for, like, sticking with it. Because I immediately wanted to, like, jump ship in that moment and think of, like, how to how to just change shift gears rather than, like, work through that low period. And it's actually been really fulfilling to be able to, like, grow again. There's no question that, you, you know, you were going to get out of music or just or stop the project. There was maybe kind of more of just a question of direction or naming, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. I think at the time I didn't want to associate with Cruella because there was so much like darkness around yeah, our baggage. name. Baggage and like bad press. That's why I was just like, okay, let's completely like rename it. Let's just overhaul the project. Yeah. And also knowing that the person you built that with wasn't going to be part of it anymore. It's also that's part of the the drama and the trauma of it. Like losing a third member is really it's like a tricycle sure. turning to a bicycle. You have yeah. to learn how to ride without And that again, extra not just wheel. a third member, but a, a friend, a long time friend, somebody you're very close with. <laughs> and, Lots for the, yeah. and for the record, I do want to say, just because we've spent a good deal of time talking about this yeah. right now, something from the past that I feel like we've healed from, like, we're on good terms with Chris, and like, I think that in itself is more powerful than anything we're talking about because it does show that we have the capacity and humans have the capacity to heal and forgive and let go. And whether it's like a divorce or drama in the family, whatever it is, I think it's so relieving and freeing to be able to look at someone from a place of unconditional love. Obviously, it does take time to work mm-hmm. through things and heal. And- I'm glad you brought that up because there's like a TMZ story about it. Like For sure. Yeah. I'm a- journalism is guilty of this as anybody but you know there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of coverage around sort of the drama and everything else but I don't think a lot of people are going to be like circling around to be like oh headline news like they're they're cool again (laughs) there's no fun in that yeah yeah it's it's funny too because I remember when all of this was going down and it felt really heavy and serious a couple months after 
everything initially happened, Jahan and I would always say, like, I feel like we're going to be friends again someday. Like, we've just been through too much together. And now being friends again is just like, I feel like we had the faith. And the faith kind of Mm -hmm. all brought us back together. And I remember we were on the phone a couple months ago, me and Chris, and he was just like, you guys should post more. Your fans want to see it. It it was, like, so supportive. He's like, you guys post great stuff, but you don't post enough. You have to post more. It's just really sweet, the mutual support that exists today it's pretty surreal you two are sisters although obviously there have been situations of groups with siblings where they there was a bit of conflict but you know do do you feel that going through an experience like that has made you more hesitant to get closer to the people you work with i mean because you you do risk Mm -hmm. a lot when you mix Mm -hmm. business and pleasure i mean we're the ultimate proof that it can work out because we're sisters and we're mixing business and family you know business and the personal i think if anything we've matured in the process Mm -hmm. we know how important it is to have authentic genuine connections and care about genuinely care about the people that you work with but also knowing when to set boundaries for your own personal space or just because um, you think it's wise for the relationship. I think you used the phrase, the blissful solitude before. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you you two don't get a lot of chance to slow down, but how important is it to find that time to just sort of be alone, to be away from things, to be away from music making? It's become something we've prioritized. Recently? Yeah, in the last year, I would say. But the decade before this last year of not prioritizing it has been really just like not that healthy. If we really look back on the extreme life we were living, extreme sounds were like skating down <laughs> like mountains. Just drinking and stuff. some Mountain Dew. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think this last year of really taking a step back, touring way less. Like we went from playing hundreds of shows a year to maybe 50 in 2019, or maybe not, maybe not even 50, and spending time in the studio making music in a very free flowing way, not like mm. must make a demo every single day. Just, you know, whatever comes out of it will come out of it. Just changing the attitude in that way and changing our schedule in that way has led us to realize that we do need to take a step back and that's the type of people that we are. There are artists who can hustle every day, fly all around the mm-hmm. world, do it till they're 50 or 60 and they rock at it. But I think Jahan and I really, really like to find time to slow down. And then we like time to like go crazy and, yeah. and have the flying around the world lifestyle, but we need balance. I also didn't know that I needed it before, I'd say like before a year ago or so that's when I started realizing like wow I actually need solitude before that in like the opportunities we got to have time alone even if it was in a hotel room I would always be stimulating myself no matter what I was doing constantly obsessively on compulsively on social media or thinking about that like I always have to be doing something productive in those moments and that's why like spending time alone is so counterintuitive mm-hmm. because I've realized that like I think our time management is better now I feel like we go with the flow more we're mo- more easy going easier easy to it just feels easier in general by being able to like have this time for ourselves to like meditate on things and gather and collect our energy before we go out into the stimulating world. (laughs) Clearly a lot of that hustle was instilled upon you by your parents. Yeah. It sounds like. And society. I can't put the blame on like 
Like, no, I'm not yeah, saying it as yeah. a bad thing. It's exactly that drive that got you to where you are, yeah. right? That turned a yeah. sort of like a high school bedroom music project yeah. into this thing where you're trying. It's a positive. When you do take a step back and you look at it and realize you need to take that time, even at this point in your career, is there fear of losing momentum? Oh, that fear has been, that's a recycled fear. Yeah. Like we felt it so many times in the past. I think we have hit the extreme low, low of our <laughs> career and hopefully crossing my fingers, knock on wood, we, we won't go to that extreme low again. That was 2014? Yeah, the okay. end of 2014, yeah. early 2015. So I feel like we're not as afraid anymore because once you've gone to the worst place, it's kind of only up from there. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we'll never be in a low place again because, sure. of course, there's highs and lows to your career. There's going to be lulls. There's going to be times when, I mean, I was saying this earlier, like maybe you, you or I won't want to take six months off and go back to school or go travel or whatever it is. I mean, there's going to be times where we step away and come back to it. But we have the coolest fans ever, and they have stuck by us, mm-hmm. and they whip truly ride or dies and yeah it's worked out i feel like we just we're we're gonna pace everything based on how we feel one of the upsides of going through the ringer in life as we all do is that i think it puts you in a position where you don't take things for granted as Mm. easily as you would before did it give you that kind of perspective did it help you appreciate where you were when you were at the height i haven't i feel like even more grateful now where we are even though if like if you look at the numbers and relevance online whatever it is it was higher then I'm happier now and I feel more in the moment now than I was back then so whatever we went through it led me to this moment that I'm I personally feel very grateful for. I also feel like we're less sensitive to the lows now because mm. when you when you do go through the ringer, it kind of you ex- it exposes you to like whether it's a certain negative public reaction or the love from fans changing. And you re- it feels like the end of the world at the time. And now Yasmin and I talk about it now, where it's like if someone were to tweet something that's like affects our reputa- <laughs> reputation or something or makes up some bullshit about us, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's just not a big deal because. Guess what? I could go home and hang out with my dog, make a great family meal, <laughs> hang out with friends, go on a hike. There's so many other beautiful things in this world to experience. Our world doesn't revolve around what fans think about us or what the public thinks about us or how many likes you get on Instagram. The numbers are cyclical, right? You're about to enter a, an album cycle, so I assume things are going to start to take off, right? Isn't that generally how the process goes? If all goes well, yeah. we would hope. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not even always the gauge of sure. success. It's really because like these uncontrollable algorithms that are constantly evolving and social media constantly changing, I think we need to put less weight on that now. What's your own personal gauge for success? That we actually like the music we're making and we have fun on tour yeah because previously it was not necessarily driven from the best place i mean are, are there any regrets there i'm assuming you feel like maybe more personally connected or prouder of this music that's coming out. Personally connected, yeah. yes, because it's way more vulnerable. We really dug deeper than we've ever mm. dug before. Mm. I'm so proud of every single song we've made. I feel connected to every single song we've made. I have memories so deeply connected to every album, EP, everything we've made. I think it's just who we've evolved into. The creating of this last body of work felt like it was like writing a fucking diary mm. entry, mm. you know? So, And that's not something we've necessarily had for an entire body of work before. And also I think we enjoy the process more. 
for this last album. And I think that's a huge part of it because I think in just just an unconscious way, the energy that's in the room and the energy you're carrying with you that day when you walk into the studio is felt from people receiving and consuming the music or the art. You addressed this a little before about sort of the, the meaning behind the, the album title. I think the announcement actually just went out yesterday and the the take from sort of the press release is that it there's almost this kind of idea of starting from scratch. Is that's, that it's definitely one of the meanings. Yeah. I mean, when we came up with the concept of zero, we were talking about probably 15 things. And one of those things was like stripping back all of these layers and like what's at your base. What's almost like the innocent, pure, naive piece of you that's completely covered up by what your life has been. And Which is funny because when, because you, again, you were in your teens when you started. You were. Yeah, this is very full circle for us, very full circle, because we've been dying to get back to that childlike wonderment when Mm. we're touring, when we're making music. And I think that's what everybody kind of subconsciously craves, those moments where you're so present and you don't care about what's going on outside of this moment. And so, yeah, definitely that's part of what Zero is about and the concept around it. But there's a million other reasons. What does that mean starting from scratch musically? How do you... How do you go down that road? I think a lot of it is kind of like like in the studio, whatever actions or creative choices you're making or suggestions, it's like really thinking about whether it's coming from like an authentic, instinctual, intuitive place mm. rather than like, does this work for pop dance playlists? Okay. Which I have been yeah. under the influence of in the past sure. where I'm just like, like, hey, don't get me wrong. I, I love pulling references from music that's already out there. I think that's really important to have an idea of what's being played in the clubs and what's working in the EDM scene. But you almost have to like compartmentalize and be like, okay, I'm not going to let that trend dictate how I create because I feel like then it doesn't come from this like pure unadulterated, is that the word I'm thinking, unadulterated place. So I think the reason why we love this album so much is that like when we're writing, a lot of the time it's it's in a stream of consciousness in the booth where we're just wiling out and saying gibberish stuff. And I personally feel that whenever, it's like scribbling and doodling. Like I think that's coming from a very deep spiritual and magical place within you. And I think that's such an opportunity before you start self-editing, purging and seeing what comes out. I think that's these are all the like deeper layered subconscious characters or personalities or belief systems that are happening within you. Mm. So it's really interesting to uncover that and then sift through it when we're done and be like, oh, that word you kept saying, that phrase you kept saying, that melody you keep going to, that means something. So when I think about authenticity, I think for us in the studio, that has been a big part, like just creating in a stream of consciousness. This idea of being more, you know, naked on the page or being more personal, how much of a conscious decision is that? Because it sounds like you were just sort of, you know, almost like primal scream channeling a lot (laughs) of this stuff. Primal is the perfect word, yes. Our studio process has changed so much over time, but the primal feeling, this almost guttural, cathartic place within Mm. us is something that we've truly just tapped into and now it's almost natural. At first it was like, I'm really kind of nervous to go in the booth and just let whatever comes out of my mouth come out. What do you mean? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. scary to think about what Mm, might be inside of you. (laughs) There are times where... I think Jahan is almost way better at it. Not to say there's a better or worse, but sometimes when she's in the booth, I'm like, she is like at her most cave woman. Mm. <laughs> crazy place right now. Like, I wish everyone could see it. It's crazy in the best way. But I've never seen that out of us before until like the last year mm. or two years. What's the process of finding, you know, the right producer, finding the right collaborators in a situation? It's very different than going in with, you know, like a set of songs or some oh, yeah. idea of what you're doing. 
Yeah. To be, you have to nurture, like foster really safe um, and comfortable environments. You'd be able to tap into what Yasmin was just talking about, which is creating from a really raw and primal, scary, vulnerable place. And it's scary to bring people in from outside to sort of yeah. be a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. You definitely have to establish trust with someone. We found like an incredible producer and who's become a dear friend that we've been working with for about four years now. Cody Tarpley is his name. And he is so open and uh open with us and also like comforting so and nurturing nurturing and like we'll fuck up in the booth all the time here's me like singing the wrong notes my voice cracking i feel like i'm in a very safe place to be able to mess up and i think that's something you have to realize when you're creating or this is beyond just the creative field is like you have to almost embrace failure because 95 percent of the 20 minutes you spend in the vocal booth is just going to be complete garbage (laughs) and there are nuggets here and there so he, it, I think, like, having, like, kind of creating and nurturing that team, people who almost encourage you to while out and purge in the booth, that's, a, that for us, that's become a huge part of the process. And also, it's just going with the flow, because you have to leave space. You have to leave time to be able to do that. In our fast-moving society, where, like, artists feel pressure to release a song every month because you have to keep up with the mm-hmm. oversaturation of music and content out there, it doesn't leave much room for going in the studio and experimenting for three hours yeah. and not having a demo and maybe spending a week in the studio and experimenting and you don't really get anything out of it. It doesn't leave much room for that. And I think we had to like really reanalyze our process and be remind ourselves to be patient with this process. That's also, I mean, that's not a privilege that everybody has. You have to have already sort of established yourself if people are going yeah, to give you the, sort of the time and the money and the space to be able to do that. Yeah, true. I do feel like we have the luxury beyond just creative luxury. I think luxury to self-explore. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. Like we're in a position where we could slow down for the past year and sp- spend time going inward. Is there songwriting happening outside of the studio as well at this point? Or are you doing such a good job of kind of like compartmentalizing yourselves so that you're able to shut that off for better or for worse? I think we're both constantly being struck with moments of inspiration, but yeah. it kind of flows out of us in different ways. If it's a melody, like you have your phone on you at all times. Mm-hmm. There's a voice recording app. You can record it right then and there. You don't have to <laughs> like run to a studio anymore. You can record it in so your phone. So when the time does come to record in the studio, you, you might go through the voice memos. Absolutely, and, yeah. always. Or like, I mean, we both journal. And sometimes things we journal become lyrics. Mm. Like absolutely, there's songs on the album that have come probably straight from our journal. Uh, that's why I said it feels like it was an open book, open mm-hmm. diary. I think it's come to a place where we yeah the majority of the the music making happens in the studio but we look at life and the experiences that are happening like they're all feeding into what happens in the studio it's become that i mean everything is an inspiration everything and it like all feeds into the music these days especially everyone is just so impacted by global events politics and things like that do those have an impact on the record i mean the the record is so international yeah we, we kind of scoured various cultures to find people that we could collaborate in a really genuine way that we loved the music of, that we could find this kind of common ground between Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do, fusing East and West, our Eastern roots with our Western upbringing, and then finding other artists that were really interested in maybe either like what we were doing with that or some sort of countercultural movement or adding their own spices into the mix. We have some like really, really cool collabs we're so excited about. We just released one this past week with an Indian 
artist named Nuclea. He's a huge DJ producer over there. We got to witness it firsthand when we were there. He's massive. Like, we have a great following there, but when he comes on stage, it's like the room explodes. It's really cool to see. I mean, obviously, you have your Calvin Harris's and your Tiestos, Mm -hmm. but seeing someone who is Indian being able to make it like that in India is so inspiring. And we just released a collab with him on Tuesday. Then we have a a bunch of other collabs that feel very international. So we might not be leaning super political in our lyrics, but Mm. the fact that we're half Pakistani females who have a collaboration with an Indian man, like from India, like that in itself is a statement that we're trying to make. It's um, like a bridging of two worlds. It's interesting. In 2019 is the act of making a multicultural international record kind of political in and of itself. Mm. This is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think basically what we are in this day and age, I hate to pinpoint exactly who we are, but I think anyone who feels like a mixed race mm-hmm. female who who grows up in America, we were raised Muslim yeah. or half Pakistani. I mean, I think what we are inherently is very strange is not the right word. I mean, we paradoxical. Sure, yeah. that's actually perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself brings such a cool perspective and we're really really trying to come into that space more because it's so important. I mean, if you have this paradoxical but very strange and cool way to give your perspective over to the world, I feel like we both feel a responsibility to to do that as we get older. Is there a hesitance to be kind of like overtly political on a record just for fear of alienating some fan base? It's It's weird. Like, the moments where I've felt like I've had a really, really strong opinion about um, a ruler or, like, a leader of a country Mm -hmm. or a region or a a religion that's oppressing another religion, whatever it is. Our dad, actually, he, like, he told us this, Abu, (laughs) that's our pocket, that's on our Pakistani side. Why do we have to have an opinion about certain things? Why do we have to pick a side? Like, it's always about, it's so black and white sometimes where you have to say this country over that country or this country's in the wrong, this country's in the right. If you look back, like, everyone, everyone has oppressed someone at some point in time. And Mm -hmm. I know this is not popular opinion, but sometimes I just don't want to pick a side. Like, I, like, why can't we connect despite our differences? Connect despite the, the fact that Maybe this person supports a leader who is advocating for a cause that I'm not in line with. Like, I would be, to me, if that's like, we've, to me, it's like, I think we have to think, start thinking outside the box and be able to connect with people, even if they have a completely opposite political view or religious background that's clashing with ours. And I think that makes sense with our inherent childhood, too, is like having a Catholic mother mm. marry a Muslim man. It's like we grew up in a household where two people of opposing backgrounds came together and being able to meet eye to eye in that way. So I'm just always trying to think of, like, reminding myself to how to think in lead with love and, like, think about how I can think in a more loving way about people that I might disagree with. I think one thing I feel heavy responsibility, though, with is American politics. When we go to places around the world, I want to represent myself properly Mm -hmm. because I don't blame other people for looking at America in a certain way. I don't blame other people for being fearful or afraid or even angry at who America is in, in the space of the world. And I think it's important, in my opinion, to to really take responsibility for who America is today and what we've done to the world, the impact we've had on the world, whether that's like political or climate, society, whatever it is. So that's one thing that I feel like I, I want to speak on more so than just places outside of America 
where yeah. I might not know every detail. I don't live there. I don't have the everyday experience. I'm not on the ground sure. there. So I feel like if it's something I can speak on because I've experienced it my whole life, that I feel responsibility for. Musically or personally? Both. Yeah. Does that manifest on the record? Not on this record, but after that fun little January 20th, 2016, <laughs> we actually went in the studio pre-inauguration and we had like a couple of weeks where we could not take our minds off of we were so filled with this dread that was sometimes really sad dread sometimes really angry dread and we like really rinsed the emotions mm -hmm. and we have a lot of songs on the back burner that i'm sure we will release someday but they just didn't fit on this record but there's a place for them someday really excited about those There you go. That was Jahan and Yasmin of Cruella. Their new record, Zero, is out this week on Mixed Kids Records. Thanks so much to them. Really enjoyed that talk. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the show. If you like the program, there are a number of ways to support us. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rolcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rolcast.tumblr.com. That's the first and best place to get all of your riyl related information like us on facebook and uh that's about all we got for this week so stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl